I give Aaron Rodgers some advice. It would have been nice if he'd have just come to the Naval Academy and learn how to be honest. Learn not to lie, because that's what you did, Aaron. You lied to everyone. I understand immunized. What you were doing was taking stuff that would keep you from getting COVID-19. You got COVID-19. Ivermectin is a cattle dewormer. Sorry, folks. That's what it is. Now. Back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. There's Terry Bradshaw on Sunday. Eh, part playing to the crowd there. Got them all riled up, talking about being honest. Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's been an Aaron Rodgers detractor since a lot of the drama during the offseason. Uh, do have to throw this out there before we get Miles Simmons on. Uh, we've got a bunch of positive COVID tests in the NFL. We'll hit on that, but... Um, the first college football game that I know of that has been canceled. Remember, all the conferences this year, Power 5 conferences are like, hey, there's no leeway. You can't play a game, forfeit. You have to cancel, forfeit. Cal USC is gonzo. Uh, last week, Cal lost to Arizona, was missing 20-plus players, and Cal can't uh, get to the finish line and play this game. So uh, they are out, and I suppose USC is going to get a win here. Miles Simmons is with us. Miles, it's starting to heat up again. Uh, you know, people need to – well, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers wants to, but people need to mask up and start being careful because uh, we're starting to see this stuff roll out in the NFL too. Some more COVID issues. Uh, yeah, you know I, that was the first that what you just said was that that was the first I had heard of Cal USC being postponed. I guess you know I'm so ensconced in NFL, I, I didn't even know, and I really didn't know about the whole thing with Cal not having barely anybody to play last week. When you got 20 players out due to COVID, that is a ton. So, I mean, look, like you said, people got to mask up. People got to be careful. I mean, here in LA County, we've had our mask mandate in basically all public spaces since, uh, I mean, they took it out in late June and it's been back, I feel like since mid to late July. So it's a matter of, I guess, people just trying to be responsible and stay safe. So, Miles, before we jump into anything local here in Las Vegas, since we haven't really had been much going on with the Raiders, um, but last night, Monday Night Football, um, a couple of things on that last call, a taunting call. We got a ref hip-checking a player after a big game, after a big play. I mean, in, 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 re, in, in reality, it's, it, it might be safe to say that we, we see a referee – have a major impact, shocker, on the outcome of a game, which, as Steve pointed out earlier, could have an impact on the Raiders because the Steelers got to win. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I didn't love that taunting call. I don't think any of us did. I mean, I, I tweeted out right after it. It's like, you know, is that really the spirit of the rule where you have a taunting call where the dude wasn't even saying anything? Like, I understand that he was looking at the the other, the opposite bench, right? And, and I get that. And that's not necessarily something that they're supposed to do. But my gosh, you know, when he just makes a big stop and the opposition is about to punt, to have that call in that situation and to have it go against a team that's like clearly riding a pretty big momentum wave, I just, I don't like that. I, I really don't. And I don't think that that is really the nature of cleaning up the game or whatever Mike Tomlin said today. I don't, I don't think that there's something that really needs to be cleaned up when all he's doing is just standing there, right? I mean, I think some of these things are pretty clear and obvious and they are taunting fouls and all that, but I think that that one is not. 
And I think that especially given the nature of what the situation is, it's ridiculous, right? You just don't need that to be the case where a referee is pretty clearly impacting the end of the game. And I don't think the NFL should want that because, again, we're talking about this now as, you know, the taunting point of emphasis and all that, when really we could be talking about, you know, the progression of Justin Fields. What does it mean that the Steelers won another game and how all these things are topsy-turvy in the AFC and all these teams have about five wins, right? It's why are we talking about this? It's because the NFL has said that the point of emphasis is on this taunting and we have to do this and we have to do that. But I just don't think that that's what the NFL should want, right? We should want to talk about the great plays and the great players and all this stuff, not the silliness that comes from an official basically trying to think, apparently, that we call came to see them. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk, is with Cofield and Company here on a Tuesday. He joins us every Tuesday. Um, so... OBJ gets through waivers. Is there any chance that Beckham just goes unsigned? Um, no, no, no. I mean, he's he's gonna get signed somewhere, right? I know he's gonna because he he's interested in playing still, and I think that there are teams with a need of a receiver um, that will be willing to bring him in. I mean, you know, PFT reported that the Saints, the Seattle Seahawks, and the 49ers are probably the top three contenders. And then obviously today there was that report um, that the Packers are also up there for Odell Beckham Jr. So, I mean, we're going to see exactly what happens. Frankly, I don't think that the Packers are as good of a fit as maybe to the, uh, as maybe the Seahawks. I mean, I, frankly, I think the Seahawks are probably the best fit for them um, just because of the way that Russell Wilson plays and the way that they can freelance and kind of scat and make, you know, you know, football jazz together. And I, I don't know that he's going to be able to do that with the Saints. And I don't think he's going to be able to do it with the 49ers. And when you were talking about the Packers, Aaron Rodgers looks to Devontae Adams and kind of not many other people, especially this season. So I, I just feel like the Seahawks make a lot of sense. They seem to be interested in him. And we'll see if it gets done over the next couple of days. Yeah, I don't really get any of them aside from the Saints because you pointed out the the teams, they, they all have a number one. So if he's going to come in and whine that he's not getting targeted enough, just like he did in Cleveland, what's the freaking point? The Saints, because Michael Thomas, that whole thing has just flopped uh, the last year and a half. I, I get it for the Saints. But here that said, if, if Beckham was and his dad are all in on Baker Mayfield sucks, he's going to come in and go what? Yay, Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon. Right, exactly. I mean, I don't I don't feel like that team is going to be the one that he wants to go to because what, what are you going to do with Taysom Hill and, and Trevor Simeon, man? I mean, like Trevor Simeon didn't play that poorly, I thought, in that game on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons, which, I mean, frankly, you could say either team could have won that game, I guess. I mean, Simeon made the plays he had to make down the stretch, but I mean, my gosh, they just so many receivers were dropping passes. Um, for the Saints throughout the course of that game. It just it really didn't work out for him. But, I mean, I, I would say that he doesn't necessarily have to be a number one. He just has to go to a place where they're going to throw him the ball more than like once a game for six yards. And I think that going to somewhere like Seattle where he would not necessarily be the top option, where it would be, you know, more or less, you some games it might be DK Metcalf has the big game, some games it's Tyler Lockett, and now you bring in a Nodell Beckham Jr. and it just makes that offense that much more diverse. I think that given the way the Seahawks have competed and been good and made it to the playoffs pretty much every year um, since Russell Wilson has been there, I just feel like that would suit him very well because it, it's not just, okay, you, you get in there and you need to be a number one. I think it's he can show that he still can be a productive receiver, then hit free agency in the spring, and then maybe he goes to a team 
where he gets paid again and then he's number one because he's shown that he can be a part of somebody else's scheme and he can get open and, you know, he can make catches. Uh, Miles, excuse me if I get emotional here. I feel bad for Aaron Rodgers, but apparently he feels crucified <laughs> over his vaccination story. He told us in uh, August that he was immunized. Then he said, oh, well, no, it, he was treating it. And now he feels as if he's being victimized. And he says even some friends have turned on him. Does he realize maybe that people aren't just mad that he didn't get vaccinated, but that he lied? I think so. Based on his uh, appearance with Pat McAfee today, it seemed like a little bit of cleanup on aisle three right there. Because, look, it, it was he was more contrite today. And I think that the first thing when he was on there and he was sort of an apologize and he goes, oh, well, you know, I saw I'm uh, I, you know, I take responsibility if anybody feels they were misled. And then he actually later was more like, no, I misled people and I take responsibility for that. Um and I think that it, it, I'll put it this way, you know, why I got fired up on the Friday episode of PFTPM, clips of which are available on YouTube if you haven't seen them yet, uh, it was because I didn't like the way he's spewing misinformation for 46 minutes unchecked. And like that to me is dangerous. And frankly, when you are in a position that Aaron Rodgers is in, which is the reigning MVP, he's on national commercials, you know, people know who this man is. Um, he has an outsized influence uh, whenever he starts talking, right? So when you go on the air and you start talking about stuff that, you know, the, the medical professionals and doctors and scientists and like not just the nation's leading, but the world's leading medical professionals and epidemiologists and virologists and all these different people have debunked, then that's what I really have a problem with. And I also have a really big problem with invoking Martin Luther King and something that he wrote in the Birmingham jail to talk about how you don't want to wear a mask at a freaking press conference. Kick rocks, man. So I feel like it's in certain spots across the league, um, there are other Aaron Rodgers types who are done with the masking, done with the distancing, done with the rules. And I think we're seeing it play out with certain teams. I have no idea what happened with the Browns, but I was all ready to fire on the Browns as a short dog against the Patriots. I don't think the Patriots are great. I think the Browns can be very good. I think the uh, Odell Beckham uh, exit is addition by subtraction. And then all of a sudden I'm ready to make the bet. And a couple hours later, we find out that Nick Chubb uh, has tested positive. He is vaccinated, but you know, very likely that he misses the freaking game this week. Yeah. And that's a shame. I mean, it, it's, this is one of these things with this virus. I mean, and, you know, they had John Kelly, who's another backup running back for them, test positive yesterday, and he was put on the COVID list, and then you have two more today. And so that means Darren Johnson right now is the only active running back that the Browns have on their roster or practice squad. Now, they do have a chance to get Kareem Hunt back this week um, from that calf injury. He was on IR. But I believe at least the first reports were that that injury was going to take maybe four to six weeks to heal. It's only been three. So we'll see if he's a fast healer and if he can be on the field. But yeah, I mean, like that's a huge, huge, huge loss for the Browns going to New England and playing the Patriots who have been turning it up a little bit lately. You know, I mean, I, I granted that they beat the mess out of the uh, the Panthers last week and Bill Belichick schemed the hell out of a quarterback that he knows how to beat in Sam Darnold. But, you know, they came out here to L.A. Uh, a couple weeks ago and beat the Chargers, I thought, pretty well on the Chargers home field. So 
listen, they're improving, and obviously the Browns and Patriots seem like they're going to be two teams that are fighting it out in the AFC for one of those um, wild card spots. And if not, well, for in the Browns' case, the division. And actually, in the Patriots' case, too, given what we just saw from the Bills against the Jaguars on Sunday. So it should be an interesting game whether or not you know any of those running backs are available, but that just puts it more on Baker Mayfield. Miles, let's bring it to Las Vegas where yesterday, I'm not sure if you – Watched it or watched it after the fact, but uh, Mike Mayock spoke and uh, about Damon Arnett, spoke about character, spoke about bringing the right people in, talking about vetting and and, and doing its re- doing his research. And now they've signed Deshaun Jackson. Jackson brings a little bit of an alleged background. Not sure how much of it's true or not, but basically, um, two guys, top round, uh, first round draft picks last year, gone. Now you bring in Deshaun Jackson. You like the move? I, I do. I like the move to bring in Deshaun Jackson. Um, but I, I would say this too about you know what Mayock said. I liked. I have liked the way that Mike Mayock has come out and kind of tried to steer the ship. And I think that he's shown some really strong leadership since uh, John Gruden resigned. And I think that that's something that a franchise needs. That you know is in some ways a little bit rudderless. Um, based on the way things have happened with Gruden and the other top executives on the business side also resigning in recent months. Um, So I have a lot of respect for the way Mayock has done that. But I also think that, you know, when he's kind of falling on the sword for uh, the Damon Arnett pick and everything and all that, it it wasn't his ultimate choice to pick (laughs) Damon Arnett. Right. in the first round at 20 overall so you know yes was he the general manager when it happened absolutely but i i don't think we should forget that john gruden had full control over personnel right and so we don't really know what a mike mayock draft looks like okay and i mean maybe you know we can give him a little more credit for the later rounds because i would assume that john gruden as the head coach is more focused on those earlier impact picks but i just like I said, I think it's good leadership for him to come out and say the things that he said. Um, but I also feel like, man, I'm not forgetting the way this organization was set up, you know, a month and a half ago in the middle of September when John Gruden was basically the football czar. And we all thought that he was going to be there for however many more years. And Mike Mayock, if the Raiders didn't make the playoffs, was probably going to be the scapegoat. And so we really don't know what the Raiders are going to look like in 2022 and beyond. right? I think Mark Davis has an opportunity to shape this franchise in whatever way he wants. And you know, if they have more performances like they did against the Giants, where QB is uh, losing three giveaways then you are probably going to have a different a completely different regime but you know there's a lot of good stuff that the raiders can still do i think everything is still out in front of them and deshaun jackson should definitely help that offense out because i think as we saw on sunday they've got to have somebody who is a bit of a threat to stretch the field he can do that i give mag a lot of credit because i'm sure behind the scenes he would like to just freaking smash gruden not actually in front of the cameras he would like to smash gruden uh, but he's taking the high road because I'm sure there's a lot of moments where he's like, wasn't me. Like, yeah. I told him. Yeah. Arnett was a risk. Ohio State told us he was a risk. And John wanted him. Now, that might not be the entire truth. So maybe that's why he's not coming out. It and might not be. It yeah. might not be. But I yeah. think like, I, like but I think it's still right. I, but I think still, you know, I, I think we're on the same page with this, Steve. Like, you know, it, it's 
it's not just that it, it was all Mike Mayock. And, you know, that's what he was saying yesterday. Oh, it's my responsibility. I take 100%, blah, 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 blah. And, like, I mean, if we want to go by what Mark Davis said, then he should really take 49% of that credit, right? Because it was 51 Gruden, 49 Mike Mayock before. But <laughs> I don't think that that would sound very good if he said that. Last minute, Miles. What do you think about the Chiefs in town against the Raiders? And uh, right now the line at most places actually has the Chiefs on the road, you know, kind of reeling as two-and-a-half-point favorites. I don't know that the Chiefs should be favored right now. I mean, they've beaten some teams that have been down, right? And then the last good team they faced, the Titans, they lost 27-3. to So they've won three out of their last four, but those three wins have come against Washington, the Giants, and then uh, the Packers without Aaron Rodgers. I mean, like, what do we do? We really know that the Chiefs are any good defensively? I don't think we do. They played a little bit better in those games, but look at that Titans game. I mean, they just beat the hell out of them, right? So I... I Look, I think that the Raiders have to obviously regroup this week, and I feel like the way Rich Passaccia has controlled this team and piloted this team so far has been good. I think that the Raiders will probably win on Sunday, but, you know, the Chiefs are always tough matchups, so we'll see. Go check out Miles' work right now on Pro Football Talk as I uh... – joke but i'm serious um every time he's on we mentioned he's the guy's doing 13 15 stories a day you got a story about uh greg zerline and uh, some more injury news covid list news uh, josh reynolds who hey maybe the raiders need to look at josh reynolds i'm sure the rams will so check out miles work and uh, what do you got coming up on peacock peacock tomorrow at two o'clock pacific time will be on for pftpm so that will also be on friday as well we will get to if odell beckham signs we will be all over it Miles, thank you. Have a good week. Appreciate Thanks, it, guys. Miles. You too. There, there he is. Miles Simmons. All right. On the way back, we'll get to our football frenzy. Later in the hour, we're going to check in with the uh, Las Vegas Bowl boss, John Sassenti, and we'll talk more about the uh, rankings around college football and what the latest projections are for the Las Vegas Bowl here. Big 10 against Pac-12. That's coming up on December 30th. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Clock Football Frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. Some of the big football headlines, discussion points here on this Tuesday. Willie Ramirez is alongside myself, Steve Cofield. All right, let's get into it. Well, first of all, we do want to announce again, there has been a college football cancellation because of COVID. Cal somehow got to the field last week with 20-plus positive tests. Wound up losing to Arizona. I think there were some UNLV fans who were distressed by that because Arizona had the longest current losing streak, uh, 18 straight. Rebels get on the field. They lost 14 straight. Both teams wind up winning. So you can see how much it hurt Cal last week losing to a, a bad Arizona team. And now Cal USC this weekend has been canceled. So I'm guessing that USC gets their fifth win and they're, they're much closer with an interim coach to making a bowl game. Give me crunch, crunch. Thank you. Uh, Colin Cowherd this morning. Wow, I was kind of surprised by this. Maybe he's planting a flag as he often does, right? He's got the Mayfield flag that he planted a few years ago and uses that as material all the time. He was saying, based on Monday Night Football and what Justin Fields did last night, that the Bears, they got their guy. They got a quarterback. Uh, I know you were at Twin Peaks watching the game. I was with you. I don't know how much of the second half you watched. Um, It was an uneven performance, we'll say that, by Justin Fields. Did you see enough? to go on local radio and go, 
hey, you know what? The Bears have their quarterback. Justin Fields is the guy. I felt that he was the guy a while back, and oh, it really? was going to take time for him to grow. Yes, and mature, because I have been following this kid since his high school days, and I just have seen his maturation process and know what he's capable of doing. You cannot compare, obviously, high school, 7-on-7, Elite 11, college to the NFL, but when you see the progressive growth and the confidence and, you know, I, I even watched him on the QB1 series, I just have always felt that he was going to be, and I believe this came up in one of the topics uh, before the season started, um, in that who would emerge as possibly the better quarterback. Now, down the road um, in their careers, I don't, you know, okay, that's too difficult to speculate between Fields or Lawrence, but I felt that Fields had the opportunity when he would be named starter that he could emerge as the guy. Last night, he passes for a career-high 291 yards. He helps the rally the Bears on the road from 10 down in the fourth quarter. The go-ahead touchdown pass was a nice pass. It was a dart. So, I mean, this is a kid whose confidence level has never wavered, and he has the, you know, he, yeah. he has the nads well, I was gonna say, to, um, to, to um, lift his team and, and tell them and be in the huddle and command yeah. his troops. Well, on the nads part, man, I thought he was out of the game. He got freaking crunched on a tackle, and I the next play, I'm like, oh, they must have the backup in there. Dalton must be out there. And then I was oh, it's Fields. I'm like, ooh, okay. Uh, but, yeah, his running ability is next level. Like, you can see, yep. you knew he was, like, way above athletically, mm. much of college football when he was running around the field. That translates to the NFL. He's freaking dangerous. Um, he can run in, you know, both sides, yeah. you know, going left and right and throw the ball well. He's got a freaking cannon. The pass that he missed to Darnell Mooney, first of all, what a moonshot. That was that was a bomb in the air, and it was like a yard and a half ahead of Mooney. The, the, I, to me, the biggest thing is throwing the ball on time, you know, on quick hits. He's got to get the ball there before the receiver's turning. He's a little late. Uh, and ball placement, too. I mean, that's a big thing with the you know, the best quarterbacks in the NFL versus the guys who are new to the league and are, you know, could be inaccurate. Ball placement's got to get better. But I mean, uh, there's a ton to build on. Tons. Well, that, yeah, I mean, and that's going to come in time. He's going to learn that. He's going to learn how to read more and more and more. He already knows how to read defenses, but he's going to learn how to read. He's going to understand as this game goes on and watching game film and how to read defensive coordinators and what to expect a little bit more and what to expect off that edge and what the nuances are of certain defensive units and, and again, coordinators and their schemes and what they do. But right now, he already is zipping passes in tight windows. He's hitting receivers in stride like a fourth, fifth-year veteran, you know, and he's showing those flashes of experience that he maybe shouldn't have at this moment. Now on to Matt Nagy. How do we grade this dude? Because this isn't a great team, but they have an above-average defense. They took out the Raiders. Some of the decisions, way too conservative during the game. And I understand he's a rookie quarterback, but, bro, enough of the field goals. Now, they they did make a nice play. I mean, I think it was intentional. You saw in the final minute as the Steelers were trying to preserve – well, actually, no, drain some clock before they kicked their field goal. I think they got faked out by the Bears, who ran someone off the field with only 11 defenders on the field instead of 12. And, you know, Big Ben was like, let's go, let's go, let's get a penalty on him. It's only 11, bro, not 12. So I think that was a good tactical move. But the short distance field goals, no good. Not going forward enough on fourth down. 
no good. And honestly, if you got a kicker who's got a career long of 55, why the hell are you trying a 66 yarder? Just use the kid's cannon and get the ball down the field. Just throw a Hail Mary. That was a stupid, stupid field goal attempt. They've now, they've lost at least four in a row in each of the past three years. Mm. And when you talk about the talent that we just did in Justin Fields, um, aside from him, the offense is atrocious. Tied for sixth in rushing, he has a lot to do with that, but the Bears ranked 31st overall, last in passing, and 30th in scoring. And that's going to fall on somebody. And you're not going to put the blame solely on your OC. And Nagy, it's, you know, his play calling, his clock management, it has a lot to do with, you know, and you're going to have to bring somebody in who can – guide this kid young you don't want you don't want him carrying this out with this you know justin fields two three years whatever you have to bring someone in so they grow together dustin dehart of nova home loans brings you the four o'clock football frenzy dial 702-577-2600 now home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower get your mortgage tune up today by calling 577-2600 Who better to talk about food than these two? It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. Alright, before we get into the uh, latest in the world of food with Cofield and Company and Willie and myself and Ari, I want to mention, uh, real important for fans out there, that the TV access to the Knights tonight against the Kraken is a little bit different than normal. It's it's completely different. It's not available. So tonight's game is not airing on AT&T Sportsnet or any other channel. It is being shown exclusively on the ESPN Plus streaming service, and Hulu requires a subscription to watch. So um, it's one of four regular season games and nights are going to appear on ESPN Plus and Hulu rather than a TV network. Um, upcoming games are December 3rd, February 1st, March 17th. So in essence... Um, you know, and if you don't have Hulu and you got ESPN Plus, then you got to watch it on a computer, smart TV, Xbox, so on and so forth. So the reality is, is that uh, you already pay for your cable service mm-hmm. and you have to buy specific packages to get right. ESPN, the sports channel, right. or the AT&T. So now you have to buy a third one. I don't because I have Hulu. Oh, I don't. Cause so I, I was happy about these. I was happy about these four <laughs> games. And Willie doesn't, as you just said, because he'll be there watching at the Fortress. So, yes. guess what? How do you follow the game? Where's the best place now? Absolutely. Listening to Dan Duva and the boys over on our uh, sister station. Yep. Fox 1340 and 98.9 FM. I tell you all the time, any chance I get to listen to Dan when I'm driving around, I love um, Dan. he's ridiculous how I, good he is. I, I, and, 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 he, and you know what's going on in the game. I, I bring this up all the time. Pet peeve of mine. Hometown announcers freaking call the game. Don't worry about the fans getting annoyed with you if you get excited for the other team. We need to know that there's something – you know, if the Kraken to go crazy tonight, then Dan's going to deliver exciting calls. And you know what I love about Dan? He'll sit when, when before the pandemic, when we would go into the media dining room, he would come and sit wherever there was an opening. He'd sit down with whomever, all of us media members at the time. He's got some of the greatest anecdotes from like days up in uh, northern New York and upstate and everything. And just some fantastic. And, so, and he'll share some of these anecdotes on the air, too. So, I mean, you get a lot more than just play by play. I mean, Dan... Skilled guy, great guy, history with the hockey, Gary Lawless. So t- tune into the radio. 
is fat on fat crime allowed? Because <laughs> this show is a bit hefty. Willie's in good shape. Uh, you know, he lifts. He does cardio. But uh, we will bust chops on uh, fellow chubbos from time to time. Like, I was, I was, I had a hoot uh, this weekend watching some replays of this, uh, what was his name? Chris Barnett, Chris Barrett, whatever his name is. One of the heavyweights from uh, UFC. He's going against uh, John Vellante, who played football at Hofstra. He's a big guy. You know, he's like 6'3", 245 pounds. Looks the part. And then this this dude, Chris, was like me, but like 40 pounds heavier. He's 5'9", 265, but athletic, and he won. But I often wonder, like, you know, when we do that, are we contributing to the fat shaming that skinny people do? And I don't know, man. Kenny Smith getting on Zion Williamson, and, you know, Zion looks a little hefty right now. Well, that's the way the kid is built, and he does have to watch his weight. And I guess Kenny Smith threw out what? Oh, well, how does he stay in shape? Just eat less. Like, for some people, it actually isn't just that easy, Kenny. You know, Kenny weighed 150 pounds when he played at UNC. He's, you know, whatever he is, 6'2", 6'3", probably weighs less than 200 pounds now. I understand, you know, it's easy to look at people who are a little hefty and go, hey, just stop eating. Not as easy for everybody. I will stand up for my fellow Chubbos. And I mean that lovingly. And let me just say this, that I can't begin to tell you maybe nine out of ten times when – Somebody has come for a consultation at our gym and Jordan has told them, well, what I want you to do for the next 48 hours is I want you to chart everything. I don't care what it is. I'm not yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to gauge you or judge you. <laughs> but if you have one M&M, if you have one bag of chips, if you have – it doesn't matter what you have. One 44-ounce Mountain Dew. ounce Mountain Dew. Whatever it is, you chart it and then bring it back to me. When I tell you that – Nine out of ten times, and this is usually with the women because they want to slim down, they want to get the bikini body, they want this, they want that. They come back, they say, well, I eat healthy. So they have all their list of salad and veggies and this, and you know what he tells them? Nine, I kid you not, you're not eating enough. You oh, need, really? You need more calories. You just need to learn how to proportion your carbs, your fats, and your proteins. And, yes, carbs are good for you. So – Kenny like Smith I felt like I was getting a lecture. Kenny Smith should not be no. Kenny Smith should not be telling him that you, you just stop eating. Maybe you just count your macros, spread them out, do a training regimen, and time what you're eating when you're eating it. Because a big body like Zion Williamson, when he's in shape, should probably be taking in three to four thousand calories because of the training and the practice and the running and the cardio that they're doing just in practice. Then they're doing strength training. So. Cal caloric intake should be up. It's a matter of what is in those calories. Coming up next, we'll get to the CPR, the Cofield playoff rankings, and we'll get the uh, final judgment the this week. It's the only rankings that count. Uh, we'll get the uh, judgment on uh, college football expert, uh, John Sassenti, who runs the Las Vegas Bowl. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company. On ESPN Las Vegas. I'll throw in, you can hear the Knights on Fox 1340 and 98.9 FM. Pre-game starting up around 6 o'clock with uh, RTHG. Willie is here. It's Cofield. Cofield and company on ESPN Las Vegas. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota studios. And parts unknown is the big fella, John Sassenti, head of the Las Vegas Bowl. What's up, John? What's up, fellas? How you doing today? I thought you'd take offense to me calling you the big fella. <laughs> well, I know it's, it's not a fat joke, right? Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of double entendre. It could be a comment Athletic. on the conditioning. But, like, I, I call uh, – uh, who's the – Ari, who's the reporter you always cringe at when I uh, – the female reporter 
Uh, it's Big Ruth, uh, Big Diana Rossini, who's like literally five foot tall and 53 pounds, but she's got a presence about her. Well, thanks, you have buddy. A I, think, I think that's a compliment then. Yeah, you have a presence about you. You you run a big time bowl game that's coming up on December 30th. We got uh, Big Ten three, Pac 12 two. Did I get that right or did I reverse it? No, you got that right. Perfect. Okay. Uh, we're going to get into what happened this last weekend in the Big Ten and the Pac 12. But first, your general read on last weekend and the upset of Michigan State. So they go tumbling. Uh, the CFP, actually, we're going to comment on the CFP, but they pushed it back tonight because of the college basketball. But Michigan State tumbling a bit because they lost, and also a lot of guff given to Cincinnati because they didn't destroy Tulsa. Yeah, I, I, I think you still, you're still the only person that has Cincinnati number one in the entire Correct. country, which uh, I, I cannot agree with. I, listen, I, I was one of those people that um, we didn't get to talk about this last week. Um, we certainly don't see the rankings yet today. We, we, we were over two on being able to actually talk about live rankings, but, um, eventually we're going to get this thing going. Um, but listen, I, I, I certainly would have put Cincinnati in the top four. I think, um, uh, they, they, they've, they've shown that they could play with just about anybody and listen in, in college football, you're not going to blow everybody out week in and week out. Um, you know, the hard part for me is, is this early in the year? Um, I, I think I was watching, uh, I hate to say this as an ESPN guy, but I was watching the Fox uh, Big Noon show last week, and I think Coach Stoops said it's the best. He said, when do we start putting teams with one loss ahead of undefeated teams this early in the year? Like, what are we doing here? And and right. I kind of agree with that, right? Like, if, if you're undefeated, um, you should take those top four undefeated teams at least right now. And these things tend to play themselves out, but I, I don't understand how uh, how you had Cincinnati on the outside looking in. Not only that, but but at number six. That, that, that one was a little bit of a baffle to me. Uh, and then Oklahoma got smacked around down at number eight. Um, see, I, I'm, I'm torn on this one because for me, it's watching the games. It's the eye test. Um, it's also I lean on odds makers. So when they put together a final four and the bookmakers here say that the games are basically 17 to 21 point spreads, it, it shows you that they, they might not have gotten it right. I, I don't know. I like should Ohio State be ahead of Oregon when Oregon beat them head to head? What what does head to head mean if Vegas tells us, hey, now, five games later, John, uh, if we played that on a neutral field, Oregon would be, you know, upwards of like a two touchdown dog against Ohio State. How do we blend that in? I don't care. If, if, if you beat a team, you're ahead of them. I mean, and, and especially that head to head. If Oregon beats Ohio State early in the year, um, I have Oregon ahead of Ohio State. And keep in mind, Oregon, maybe the best player in the country was not playing that game. Right. So yeah. they went on the road and they had the best player in the country not playing. I have a hard time putting them behind Ohio State. I don't care how well Ohio State's currently playing. But I also think, and, and they claim they don't do this, but these things tend to play themselves out. Why not Why why not put the teams where they're supposed to be right now? There's still a long way to go. You still have championship games. You still have you know conference play going on. These things tend to find a way to work themselves out, but there's no reason that they that, that they shouldn't have those undefeated teams. And then obviously they had Oregon ahead of Ohio State, but but I think they got that right. And last week's rankings, I understand the rage from, you know, fans of Cincy, uh, supporters of Cincy. I'm a supporter of Cincy on the football field based on, you know, what I believe. I understand the rage, but the narrative I will not accept is the panic narrative, which is Cincy has no chance to get back into that Final Four. G give me a freaking break. They do. Of course they do. They do. They need a little help, but they do. They do. They, they're going to have an opportunity. The problem is they don't have – 
they don't have the greatest uh, strength of schedule down the stretch. But if they continue to win impressively and you, you continue to see, I mean, if, if there's ever a year that there's a little bit of chaos in college football, which I know you love, oh, yeah. uh, it, it is this year. You know, I mean, listen, I, m- m- what I've always wondered, though, is I understand having Cincinnati in the top four and you're not going to get much of an argument out of me. I just want to figure out why you why you insist on putting Cincinnati ahead of Georgia. Uh, I go back to the Peach Bowl last year where they beat the brakes off them for three quarters. Oh, come on. You can't go back a year. What? What do you mean go back a year? It was in January. They played head-to-head in a bowl game. Everyone wants to come back months later and say, oh, Georgia wasn't motivated. There's no way these teams are close. They were close last year. Listen, I will tell you firsthand, and and I, I've not been very good at it, but you can tell the minute a team gets off the bus at a bowl game whether they're excited to be there or whether they're not excited to be there. And I can't, you can't tell me that Georgia was going into that thing excited to be there and ready to play and ready to give it their all. I think I think it's a it's a it's a different mindset for both of those teams for that particular game. Um, I, I personally am I'm throwing that bowl game out I, with I, regards I, I, to this year's rankings. Cincinnati beat them, beat them fair and square. They got the win. Gudos, they they proved they could play with anybody. I just yeah. can't I just can't carry it over into this year. Well, fact is, since he didn't beat him because they blew it in the fourth quarter. But moles that I have at since he said the Bearcats were like this team sucks. Like uh, the SEC and and actually since he let up on the gas pedal. See how we can do this? We yeah. can play this both ways. There you go. Um, <laughs> all right, let me give you my rankings. You ready? So yep. I've got Cincinnati one, Georgia two, Alabama a very tenuous three. That was you can't beat Ed O leaving LSU, 28 point, all that stuff. Come on. You're a 28 point favorite. Get the job done. So I've got Cincy, Georgia, Alabama, and I do have Ohio State actually two spots ahead of Oregon, even though they lost to them head to head. I know that infuriates you. And from there, I've got Michigan State, Oregon, Michigan, Notre Dame. Let me get this right. Now, now, now I'm screwing it up. I was actually reading last week, so let me do it again. <laughs> Georgia 2, Ohio State 3. I did drop Alabama because they barely beat LSU. I've got Oregon five, Michigan State six, Michigan seven, Notre Dame eight, Oklahoma nine. I moved them up one spot yet to nine, and I've got Okie State at ten. How about Man, that? You are tough. You are tough. You know what I'm gonna do though? I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna officially start the campaign right now to get you into that mock um uh selection room. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard about this, but the CFP does it every year. They invite members of the media. Uh, they've even invited some bowl representatives to run through scenarios on how they how they go through the process of selecting the teams, all the criteria in there, and they actually lock them in the exact room and let them get to experience that. I think you're the perfect candidate to go through that process next year. Yeah, well, I will throw all their objections and their ridiculous narratives right back in their face, and I will make sense of it, and they won't be able to explain them their way out of it because I can because I will always lean uh, in the end on Vegas. Vegas last week told us by the spreads that Cincinnati is a top four team. So you can't, you can't beat Vegas. Sorry. I got, but you're arguing with your peers, not, not them. Mm. Cause it's the committee. Yeah. I'm not sure they're my peers. Sorry. <laughs> I, I will look down my nose at them. What do you got Willie? Uh, so John and I love to, when we get together, we love to talk old school Vegas. We love to talk about our town. We love to talk about even back in the day before, there was a lot of the, well, the, the the posse days, the sting days, right? Some of the some of the CFL, AFL teams. Well, now we got the big major leagues here, John. And apparently, God bless the memory of Tina Tintor, um, you know, a couple of character issues. And all of a sudden, our town is being blasted. And if there's any one person 
that represents this town in a in a in a in a fine fashion and brings a fine product every single year for many years now many decades and beyond the Las Vegas Bowl has been a part of of different pro teams that may not reach the NFL WNBA NHL level but you have seen this town develop and establish itself as a pro city just like any other city and that Las Vegas We've been arguing, uh, Steve and I, not against one another, but that Las Vegas is not the problem with what we are seeing this last couple of weeks and the character issues with the Raiders. I would just like to get your comment on that. Yeah, that that one bothered me a little bit because uh, you know a, a bunch of unfortunate situations coming out of the coming out of the Raiders camp with with the last couple of weeks, but. But that's not Vegas's fault, right? You you had you had young kids that 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 made some bad decisions, and uh, I, I don't care I don't care what city they're playing. And it's a, it's an easy narrative to say, um, you know, see maybe the Raiders don't belong in Vegas. Like Vegas is Vegas is too much for these professional teams, and, and I just don't buy that. Now now, do our folks have to put different protocols in place and maybe different processes and offer different options for people to? to try to either educate them or give them some certain resources possibly. But, you know, to, for, for, for Vegas to get, get a black eye for that, it's, it's, it's just not fair. Um, you know, that, that, that stuff happens in every town. Unfortunately, it can happen in any town, unfortunately. Um, but to, but to tie it to, to our city, I, I think has been unfair by some folks around the, around the country. I'm going to say right now, Las Vegas bowl at this standpoint, a good game would be Utah and Wisconsin. Your thoughts? Well, there'll be a lot of red in the in the in the stadium. I can promise you that that if we announce that game at at, at twelve fifteen on uh, Sunday, December the fifth, we'll probably be sold out by one o'clock on Sunday, December fifth. Uh, that's for sure. I know we're keeping a close eye on it. I know the the Utah fans they love coming here. They they're able to drive here. Um, the, the biggest thing for them is anytime they get to play a big opponent and prove for some reason, Utah still thinks they need to prove themselves, even though they've been a tremendously successful program ever since moving to the Pac-12. Uh, they have proven that they can play with anybody, but their fan base still loves to get up and, and play those quote unquote big time teams and prove that they belong. So if, if we had a, a Utah versus Wisconsin, sell it out in a heartbeat from Wisconsin fans, but but also the Utah fans would travel really well. Ironically, the 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 expert projections, uh, Steve. I think we shared this with you. We do uh, we do expert expert projections every week that show uh, all the di- different uh, college football writers around the country uh, and publications where they do their bold projections. And for the first time all year, uh, Wisconsin's actually dropped out of our projections, um, which is which is crazy. They rattled off a couple big wins, and, and now they're back in a different window. Um, and, and so they, they've dropped out. But, you know, we still have Penn State in there. We still have Minnesota in there. We still have Purdue in there. Um, Iowa, which is another another really big one. But currently, Wisconsin, according to the experts, is on the outside looking in for Vegas. Mm. All right. Well, they beat your home state school, Rutgers, badly. So I figured they'd be uh, front and center for the Las Vegas Bowl. Buddy, it's my home state school, but it's your actual school. Yes. yes. <laughs> I didn't want to mention that. A little embarrassing. They got, they got smoke. LVBowl.com is where you can get Listen, tickets 51 school, days away. Hold on. My school got a win last week. Let's talk about that. <laughs> we can, we, well, we're going to get a chance to break it down later on. So, <laughs> And we can do it next week. I, you know what? They're going to take out Hawaii. How about that? You know what? Listen, winning's contagious. When you learn how to win, you learn how to close out games, and you learn how to, how to finish a game. Yep. Uh, listen, if they beat Hawaii, it would not surprise me one bit. 
right? That happens all the time. John, good spot. We appreciate it. Thank you. Right on, guys. Talk to you soon. There he is, the head of the Las Vegas Bowl, John Sassenti. LVBowl.com is where you can get your tickets. The game is just 51 days away, December 30th. And uh, keep in mind, if you want to go to the game, you better get your tickets before they decide on the teams. Like he said, December 5th is basically the the, uh, date when they're going to decide on the teams. There's already 36,000 tickets sold at the Al for this bowl game. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.